Welcome to the Guildhall School Events Podcast. Today I'm joined by cast and crew from the end of term production, The Hour We Knew Nothing of Each Other, including director Sue Lefton, lighting designer Max Narula, deputy stage manager Georgina Elsie, and actors Becca Collingwood and Alex Bart. Okay, so a very warm welcome to you all. Thanks for coming in today to talk to us. So I think we'll start with you. Um, the Hour, in its shortened title, is described as a one-act play without words. Um, what's the story behind The Hour and what's interesting about it for you? Well, it's um, you could hardly describe it as a story. There isn't a sort of straightforward narrative. In fact, it's a sequence of entrances and exits from very strange people taking no notice of each other and just crossing the space one person after another. They have the most extraordinary things like one man, we have an instruction, one man crosses with a cradle on his head, a majestic cradle on his head, while someone in front of him is throwing ashes over the floor or over the square. And it's so difficult originally to kind of work out what these images meant. And they didn't seem to have any way of finding a kind of colour or a, or a kind of tone to the sections. In fact, the sections seem to run away from each other. But it is a play full, as I say, of these entrances and exits. It's physical. There's not a word that can, that can be said. So we're trying to express all these entrances and exits which are described by the author as fully as possible, both in costume, both in makeup, both in props. So everything is very eloquent. Everyone who enters has a whole little piece of theatre of their own. And it's very, very demanding, of course, for a director and for actors to try to find some kind of shape to these and rhythm to this piece. But as I've worked more and more on it, I'm beginning to realise that it really does have a, an amazing kind of dreamlike character. He wrote this play when he was uh, sitting in a small square in Trieste with a bottle of wine, nice day, and just got to people watching. And as he watched these people crossing the square, he began to imagine who might have crossed the square hundreds of years ago before it even was a square. And little apparitions came into his mind like opera characters. Then they would enter the square. So all sorts of the thoughts and the recollections and the associations that you're almost un unaware of having, because your brain is always thinking in images and strange thoughts, even while you're doing something simple like drinking a cup of coffee. He puts all that into the play as well. So gradually we've begun to sort of psychoanalyse him and try and understand what's been going on in his mind. So it's been a huge, huge challenge, very, very interesting. Um, I mean, I'm sure there, there are lots of challenges um, for sort of lighting and design and, and also movement, of which you're a, a one of the, well, uh, I think it's fair to say a specialist in, mm -hmm. in movement, and mm. you, you're, a, you're a tutor here at the Guildhall School yeah. as well. Um, so I, th I think we'll probably get on to talking about the lighting with Max and um, the uh, the other stuff with Georgina um, later from Technical Theatre. Um, in terms of movement, because I mean there are, there are such a lot of characters in the play, how does that 
um, you know, how have you sort of conceptualised the movement um, with with all of these different characters having to come on and off, and you know that that's there are no words. So obviously, that's a big part of the play, isn't it? It's a huge part of the play, and we're not obviously rehearsing with costume. We have begun to rehearse with props, so we can use things. But every single character who came in, we tried to define exactly how, what age they were, what tempo they'd got. It was, it's very much like a piece of music it's to do with rhythm and each rhythm fitting in with itself. So it's not exactly a psychological study, um, but you're trying to show, reveal an entrance by what's just gone by before. So you're trying to take your cue from a very slow old person and then he puts a young person next to it, you begin to realise that what he's showing is the rhythm of age and the rhythm of youth, not only perhaps in the physical but in the emotional place. And so we've tried to sort of push the limits so each character makes a, a contrast to the previous character so that we keep the play vivid and alive that way. But it has been a, a task. And have you, have you kept it in the same sort of um, um, order and direction as the original play? Or is it something that you've been had some sort of um, you know, creativity with in sort of um, adapting it for, for this production? I've actually remained with exactly what he's given us. And in the early days when I understood the play and knew the play much less well, I perhaps did deviate from the odd kind of paragraph he'd given us and didn't exactly examine it enough. But now coming back towards the production and knowing the play much better, I realised the gravity of that mistake because actually you could look at it as just a lot of, you know, associations put down and it doesn't really matter if you follow it exactly or not. But the more work I've done on this writer, the more I realise that he's as specific and as, you know, he's absolutely produced a fantastic piece of writing. So it would be, it would really be dishonourable just because there aren't words to change the words, so to speak. And is it quite a sort of, um, is it a well-known uh, writer? It's Peter Hanke, isn't it? It is. Is, he, is, he, is. is this the sort of thing he does, or is he, is he normally renowned for, for other sorts of work? Well, he's, uh, he's known as an avant-garde, and he was really avant-garde in the 60s. He was part of the really trendy set in Germany, trying to sort of break through the sort of conventional old-fashioned theatre. In fact, he was a contemporary Brecht, and when, I mean, not, not quite contemporary, but he, in terms of Brecht's theatre, Brecht changed everything because he made, things became much simpler and more direct and it, the, the play that was to do with changing an audience and making them see the world in a different way. This play is also to do, his work is to do with changing audiences but not like Brecht, not in terms of a kind of um, argument in terms of society but really have a look at the world and and he shocks you. Have a look at the world, be shocked, and see whether that might shake your own ideas. So, for instance, I think that he first made his name with something called offending the audience, where the actors actually came up on stage and started offending the audience and became very, very well known 
for that. That's like Jimmy Carr or something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, he was in, he was writing and he was did an experiment. You know, he would experiment with theatre. So how far can you go with movement? Do you need words? Does is theatre something which has to have text? You know, or can you do theatre without language? And this was one of his experiments. By the time he wrote this, then he would have been uh, in his. You say he's part of the sixties um, yeah, avant-garde, avant-garde movement, and yeah. uh, this is written in nineteen ninety-two. Yeah. So he would have been a bit older by then. Is this some? Is this a work that you you can see that it's got a certain maturity to it? Yeah, I think that um, he's stopped shocking in an obvious way now, and he's gotten much deeper down into himself, where you can actually ignore what he does, but you ignore it at your peril. <laughs> what a great quote that is. <laughs> so another question, Sue. How does a play without words translate into a, basically an hour and a half of performance? Um, is it easy to make that work? You said you, you were you know, trying to define the flow of it, and I guess that is really, really crucial to something that's essentially the length of a football match, um, but, but, but with, no, with, no, uh, with no dialogue in. Um, what's, what's been the biggest... What do you see the biggest challenge for audiences might, might be with that? I think maybe that the images will run away with themselves and won't be clearly defined into sections. So uh, as a director, what I'm trying to do now is beginning to understand a little bit the meaning of each group of entrances, trying to kind of maybe have a beat of separation between between a kind of couple of pages of entrances and exits, like say 20 entrances and exits and a little beat where I feel we can just pause for a moment. He did give pauses in the piece, but they're not necessarily pauses that can help the audience, not always. So yes, when I watch it sometimes, I just feel it's like kind of going completely out of control. It's just like, you know, you're spilling a whole bottle of wine all <laughs> over the table and it's gone for nothing you know and it's seeped into the carpet and everything and you just want to go stop stop I don't know what's going on I don't know what's going on so now we're trying to mm, give it a give it a good strong straight jacket so it doesn't run away with itself and is there any music in it or, or do you rely purely on the beat of the Exits and entrances. Well, and di- there is. There are sound effects that Handker himself asks for, which are very odd. Like you know, suddenly he has bird sounds, and then he has the sound of a falling iron pole, and then he has a foghorn, and then he has a seagull, and they seem to also have no connection with each other. But as you go on, you sort of see that they do. So you have all that, and then we've also, I think what we're going to be doing is bringing a kind of awareness of a city hum, which then occasionally gets brushed with other sounds and music to maybe allude to what might be going through Handker's mind at the time. But we're trying to keep it to a minimum because he hasn't actually asked for any more than what's stipulated in the text. Because once you put, if you were going to put music on it, it would be wonderful, it would look like a ballet for a few minutes, and then it would just all be like one wash of colour 
and wouldn't have anything else in it. So very tempting and very helpful to have music, but we have to limit ourselves. And the the sort of I guess you could call it a soundscape. Yeah. Um, with the imagine the dropping the the iron pole and seagull. Those are all sounds that if you shut your eyes and you go and sit on a square somewhere, you you actually realise that you hear. That's right. So is, but is he? Uh, is he imagining that soundscape, or, or do you think it's something that was actually there when he was on, on the square? I think it's a good question, and it's the same question one asked in the play. How much of it did he actually see, and how much of it provoked his imagination to bring about a sound effect or a particular kind of strange entrance where somebody comes in barking like a dog or suddenly somebody's got a globe, an illuminated globe which they put in a bag and lights up the bag. Where did he get that idea from? Maybe out of the air, out of his head. So the sound effects aren't necessarily logical. Potentially out of the bottle of wine. I imagine. <laughs> he did say he did say is that maybe he said himself but it's possible that the wine affected him a bit yeah <laughs> wonderful okay. becca um it's a it's a play without any dialogue so is there a temptation and i guess alex um you can you know drop in on this as well um is there any temptation as actors to see that's quite an easy job when you, uh, for example, when, when you got told you'd be doing a play without any words, how did you feel? Um, I, it was very exciting, actually. I, don't, I wouldn't say that it's an easier job. It is refreshing not having lines to learn and not having to worry about remembering your lines. Um, but actually, it's been replaced with another worry about knowing where you have to be at certain points in, throughout the play, because it's a crazy journey that you have to go on. Um, because you're playing about 20 characters. Um, but also, I think the level of detail for your characters has to be um, almost heightened in a way because you're only seen on stage for um, from 5 to 20 seconds. Um, so, very exciting, but also there's still quite a lot of work that has to be put into it, even though you're not actually saying any words. So, so Alex, can you perhaps give us an example of I mean, how many characters are you, are you going to be playing? Um, oh, I'm not sure I'm counted. Um, Too think, many to count. I, no, I think it's about <laughs> I think we're to about twenty one. <laughs> yeah. So, so will that will that involve a costume change between each one? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think actually I think it's probably more costume changes than that because a couple of characters have more than one costume change. So. I think when it comes down to it, it's maybe we did our costume fitting on Friday and that, that, that took about you know, five hours, four hours or whatever. And I think it's about what, 30 costumes or something like that. Good Lord. Um, per each, person? Per person. Or, I mean, yeah. they're working. Each with phenomenal. props as well. Yeah, I can't oh believe how many so the, are, so the costume people were going to be yeah. having a... Absolutely. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> a good nightmare. Yeah. 12 entrances and exits, so you really need to know your journey backstage as well as your journey on stage. Yeah, because we'll, be, um, we'll be running around the backs of, uh, of Silk Street, of the theatre, and we have to sort of, we're going to have to negotiate how we're going to get through the... Um, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the cafe run, actually. Yes. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to bring some money along as well, maybe. <laughs> See if I can get some... Uh, some so, food an espresso on the way. Yeah. Well, I don't have a costume. <laughs> yeah. so, kidding. kidding. So, um, so, so just run us through... So when you, when you come off stage, say your first, 
your first character, just run us through what the journey will be and how long you'll have to do to do that <coughs> and get back onto stage. Um, well, I have to remember my first character first. Well, any, Perhaps whatever, an whatever it is, but uh, but yeah, you, you, you you'll come on, go off, and then athletic you probably uh, athletic team. That's right. Yeah. And then I have maybe I don't know twenty seconds. 20 seconds max to get changed into I think I'm a rollerblader next I am a rollerblader uh, which will have little to no costume um, because it is a sunny sunny roller, roller skater by that I mean I'm half naked uh, and so good reason to come and see the show absolutely I, that's yeah, why I mentioned right it there. that's why I brought it in I thought that, you know, anyone listening out there is probably you know really increased our viewers presumably you can um, you can also roller rollerblade or did you have to learn yeah. Or does somebody sort of push push you on and then you just sort of <laughs> go on no, the other no, side? I am so, I can rollerblade. Yeah, I've been actually I've been waiting for this opportunity to rollerblade and play ever since exactly. you know, I started acting and, uh, <laughs> and I'm really glad that it came along in the shape of this. So you have twenty seconds to sort of you know, do, about do that. A yeah, I think, so. and I, think I think sometimes um though though it's gonna be quicker and you've like that's a pretty short I've only gotta go maybe ten meters before my next entrance, but there are ones where you go you have to circumnavigate the theatre. And you've probably only got about I don't know thirty seconds to do that, and then get changed into your uh, into your costume. So, well. you're li- so you're probably literally... doing it while you're going yeah. around. And, uh, and but we like... will have help. We will have a few a few dresses backstage helping us out. Admittedly, there is some there is a lot of pressure there for you to sort of get changed in the right time because, as um, as Sue was um, saying. The, the play is based on very on quite a sort of um, rigid I guess uh, sort of um, flow and it, and because there are no words that's really really important what happens if say the zipper to one of your <laughs> garments or whatever gets stuck or, or something something goes wrong and, and oh, you, and you, you m- probably just go on anyway absolutely <laughs> yeah you, you, I yeah. guess you work it into um, whatever you do I mean that's a, it's a real life problem isn't it yeah. to, to yeah. you know if, you, if your flies are undone and you notice it as you're going into you know you happen to be going into a square in Europe at that point in time but you notice your flies are undone or something like that and you just I don't know. You, you get, might get you a very quick dress with a pin. Mm-hmm. You know? The dresses are generally very quick on their feet. So if something goes wrong, they're generally the ones that help the actors work out. Yeah. I think the challenge will be having an incredibly quick runaround or a really quick change and then having to enter in a very slow, stately mm. pace because depending on the character you're coming into. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, that will be something that we're going to have to really work on in tech because every you know, ultimately the music of the piece and the rhythm of the whole show needs to come together and depends on variations between our rhythms and our characters. Um, and so, yeah, I think that'll be something we and have that's, to work yeah, on. And that's sort of what we have to take in, which isn't, which isn't lines or anything like that. That's what, mm. we, that's what our lines are going to have to be. So that's basically the, the, the biggest challenge for you. Mm. Yeah. I'd say so. We'll see, I guess. And I suppose yeah. also being suppose. being truthful to a character that you only see for about five seconds, even though it just whizzes across. That's a very short amount of time to try and get into that um, that role, it isn't is. it? It is. It is. Whilst trying to appear not out of breath, having run round the entire of the yeah. back of yeah. the theatre. Yeah, that, that, that is <laughs> the I think that is the big challenge. Yeah. It's being able to do it as we've rehearsed it. Yeah out of breath, don't know what you're wearing, you know. Oh. But that's why, that's why we have 
you know, such an extensive and intense rehearsal period is because as soon as soon as you step on, as soon as you put your mindset in, you have all that sort of iceberg of rehearsal behind you and all that work which you've done that suddenly it you know, it becomes very focused and as soon as you that's our, I guess our job as actors is as soon as you hit that mark, then it's sort of it's there. You've got that support underneath you. You know, which is yeah. Fantastic. Um, we'll, we'll move over to, uh, across to technical theatre um, people now. So we have uh, Georgina here, who's a deputy stage manager, and also lighting designer Max. Um, what, what do you, Georgina? What do you see as the biggest challenges from a, a deputy stage manager point of view? I have no precedent on how on earth to do this job. Um, <laughs> it's, it's honestly, we you know. I went into my first tutorial, and my tutor tried to start explaining how they normally do it, and I just stopped her and went, "It's not." I can't do it that way. So I've been uh, under the pressure of working out how uh, how to do it. Um, with obviously the tutor's been great, sort of um, bouncing ideas off them. But things like how to write up my prompt copy, uh, it doesn't work the normal way. Is you have the text on one side and then a blank page, the back of the page next to it, um, and you write your blocking along one edge of blank side and then you put your cues next to it and you put lines across into the text so your cues are generally in the text but because our script as it were in um, air quotes is just a load of blocking I've been putting all my blocking on the actual text and um, I've left the, the blank space ready for tech um, and that's so unusual for a prompt copy um, it's really important that I get it right and that's that's a lot of pressure because once we get into tech, everything sort of what you were saying about the sort of the 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 rhythm of the piece. You know, I'm going to be cueing a lot of it, and I've got to know exactly what that rhythm is a lot of the time. So to help the actors get it right. So you, you said you're cueing a lot of it. What what are you cueing? Well, there's um, sound almost throughout. There's there's um, various uh, bits of music, bits of um, just noise, and then. Uh, sound effects. There's about 150 sound effects, and then all of Max's lighting cues. Uh, which well, you in theory, you run the show. Yes, that is my job. Eventually, in performances. Um, as in, once the front of house say everyone's in and seated, it's over to me. You you run the show. Yeah. Mm. So you're there with the head, headset on. Yeah, yeah talking to the sound op, to the lighting op, to the um, assistant production managers, the assistant stage managers, the stage manager, and then there are going to be queuing entrances as well. Blimey. So <laughs> I'm in charge of all of that, and if something goes wrong, you know, I have to work out, you know, because I'm the one with the prompt copy, I'm the one that's been in rehearsals, I know the show almost as well as Sue, mm. you know. Um, because I've seen absolutely every character, I know and all the journeys. Well. I filled in part of them as well. My acting debut in rehearsals, um, you know, just like that moment there where Alex was like, "What's my first act character?" You know, I I, I was able to say because I I know, um, <clears throat> you know, there are moments where they go, "Oh, what's that thing?" and I go, "Oh, the thing's a thing," and they go, "Oh yeah," and, uh, you know, because I've got it all up there. Um, so yeah, during the technical rehearsals, we go through the show really slowly. Um, bit by bit, and each department will put lighting cues in. For instance, we'll have you know just a bright lighting state for the beginning, but you know as someone reaches the middle of the stage at one point, you might need to add a bit of light there. That will be a new lighting cue, which then Georgina will have in her book, which basically to tell the person to to press the button when that person when it reaches there to bring up more light. 
So, so rather than the operator deciding when that happens, it's I controlled decide. by one person. And that because it's generally that operator will be working at the same time as probably other queues. Like I'll be doing an entrance, and then right after I'll be doing a sound queue, and then right after doing I'll be a lighting queue, and then together I'll do a lighting queue and an entrance, and and it's an hour and a half of that essentially. How do you possibly keep on top of it? I don't. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing of a, de- of a deputy stage manager is that they are brilliant. I mean, the ones that you know, mm. the ones that they are, they have to be. Yes. Because they are the ones that are under a huge amount of pressure, and they are always the ones that can't relax. Content, quiet, <laughs> and it just it just works. Because yeah, it's every single managers. show um, that runs in the West End or wherever it has a deputy stage manager, and it's one person that's in charge of the show once it's open. Once it's it's running. about consistency, and it's about um, con- you know, if one person's in charge, then everything will work properly, and, and you it'll get go that together. Exactly, yeah. it all fits together. I've got the puzzle piece. I've got the puzzle in my head, and everyone else is the pieces, <laughs> and I'm the one putting it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, which is terrifying. So you've got to be pretty. You have a, a pretty strong sort of mind and uh, and you know will to to be able to yeah. withstand the pressure of. of oh, all absolutely! Of that. It's so much fun, though. It, you know, people who are destined to be DSMs, it's their bread and butter to be in that moment and going go 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 everybody go go and getting it right and you know speaking at the speed of light and you know light. The thing is, you know, it's. Such a collaborative thing because I'm relying on the actors actually getting, being there, having right. been changed with their prop, and then I press the green button and they go on. <laughs> you know, I'm relying on when I say go to the LX up that they don't miss it and they they get the right cue and they don't press the button twice and all sorts of things. So as much as I'm running it, I'm also entirely reliant on everyone else, and they're reliant on me. Um, and so what's what's your relationship with with Sue on on the night? Will Sue be in the audience just watching Not it? Or? Night, I no. will be sitting in the audience, keeping so quiet. You just sort of got your fingers <laughs> crossed. Yes, I will, be, I will be developing a stomach. <laughs> so I've been with Sue the entire rehearsal period. So my um, biggest part of the relationship with Sue is, is almost coming to an end because um, we've been together in rehearsals and doing the whole thing together. And then I sort of essentially hand Sue over to the stage manager for technical rehearsals. And then Sue hands over the show to me. Uh, <laughs> And you disappear into a little box. I'm up in the corner, yes. Um, With a thousand video monitors. Oh, yes, because I'm trying to see everything Mm. at the same time. Mm. Um, Max, uh, you're a a student on the Technical Theatre Arts pathways, and you're a final year. Final year, year third year student. Um, and you're responsible for the for the lighting design, Lucky boy. Yeah, the, the, the the concept mm-hmm. and the sort of uh, you know the sort of how we do it yes. bit as well. well. So it's part of the it's it's the creative team. So you have the director, the designer, set and costume designer, lighting designer, sound designer. It falls under a creative team, um, attic so to speak. So and Sue is it's Sue's concept and vision, which will then which then uh, Agnes uh, Treplin, the designer. And so we worked very closely together to come up with a set design. And then I come in and look at the set and go, so what, what exactly do we want to do with this? How do we want to portray it? So it's in the round, and the seats are everywhere. Um, and that has its own challenges as a lighting designer because you have to make sure that, well, it own challenges, but it's weird because there's no words. <laughs> if you have a play in the round and there are words, you have to make sure that someone's face is lit from every single point around them. Because if you can't see someone's face and, and they're speaking, you're ultimately not going to listen to them. So that's the fundamental thing of a lighting design, is you have to be able to see someone's face as an expression. Um, but because there's no words in it, 
it, it gets a bit hazy because do you have to see everyone's face at all moments or and there's so many put on stage at once at moments <laughs> um, each member of the audience are going to have their own their own show basically they won't be able to watch the whole thing they, they'll pick up bits here and there I don't want to give too much away <laughs> um, and so as a lighting designer you I am working very closely with Sue to come up with the initial concept which was in December actually when we when we first saw the uh, design. The design is ma it's made into a model, a smaller version, and we all sort of, it gets changed and tweaked. So before we were in the theatre, we've maybe, maybe had a few months worth of meetings discussing how it's going to work and if that's going to work, all bits and pieces. Like and that. is it, is, in, in terms of the concept, is it is sort of represented as being on a, on a, you know, a town square, or is it something a little bit different? So I guess it's it, so I don't, it's in the middle of being realistic and abstract at the same time. It's mm. neither one nor the other. So as a lighting designer, you have to make it look realistic in a way, as in, oh, you know, sun, one source basically. Make it look realistic, but it can't be, you know, warm yellow bright as the sun might be. Uh, because then it then it, you, it is really realistic. You don't want to portray. You want to add that slight twist, the abstractness of it. It does. It does sound a, 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 like a sort of dream, like a, a sort of dreamy, dreamy play. I think that's right. Mm. The audience shouldn't be wondering what they ought to be thinking about mm. it. That would just make everyone very unhappy. You just have to be free yeah. to interpret how you want to interpret. Be, because the characters are, are from history. They're people that may have crossed the square in the past. And they're people who he might imagine mm. crossing the square that never have done, that just came into his mind at that fifth glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and do, do, those, do those different characters interact with each other? Well, the long title is <laughs> The Hour We Knew Nothing of Each Other. So nobody interacts, really. <clears throat> Except at one bit. There are exceptions. There's yeah. an exceptional part of the play where everyone suddenly arrives together in the space and he tries to talk about a lot of, a lot of things to do with war and death and human anguish. And then we go back to normality again, or so, abnormality. So, so it, is is there a sort of narrative from from one one end to the other, or is it just a sort of? I guess the audience will have. So I think it's very hard to stop an audience trying to find a narrative as soon as yeah. they as soon as they give up. I think it would probably be a lot easier for them just to sort of let it yeah. come. Yeah, that first you know, half let an hour. It, and let it affect you, like like you do when you sit in a square and you start people watching. I know my mum does it all the time, where you just sit and you just watch, and suddenly your mind does create these little stories for them, and, and these little ups and downs, and then, and then yeah, crazy people come in, and you go, oh yeah, maybe I should put this wine away or something like that. But but it's it's sort of it's letting letting uh, letting it all affect you. Yeah, whatever you're trying to do on stage, you know, you've got what you think you're portraying, but because there's no words, it's very hard. It's, there are going to be people in the audience who are going to see someone completely different. And that's fine, because that's that's what you know. Max was saying it's their show. They're seeing their you know. And that's where the, the set design really comes into its element mm. as well. Oh, yes. Is that uh, silks? The theatre has been stripped back completely. It's a very versatile space, um, and it's in it's in it's in the round, and the seating blocks are well. The seating is everywhere. 
um, and not necessarily in a strict pattern. So you're never really less than three metres away from the, the stage. Every, or every audience member is never less than three metres away from the stage. So you feel like you're really in the action and it's really happening right in front of you. Um, like you are in a town square. And, and is that what the, the is, is there sort of scenery and, and it looks like a town square or is it is it like a sort of imagining of a just a blank space? Mostly it's the props that do that. The props and the costume kind of colour it. So you've got the basic set, which is like um, Max said, this sort of versatile space where you could sort of you we and Sue's directing has sort of used it in all manner of ways. Um, and then you know on top of the actor's performance, they'll have a prop. They'll have. Uh, a costume. How and many props and costumes are there? There's 250 there props, and some of them are mm, absolutely and massive. Many, some many? of them are tiny. Some of them are the weirdest things we've ever sourced in our lives. Such how as. Many did we have well, on? there's oh I don't know. It's a live just, monkey. There are no live animals in this show. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many times I've said that? <laughs> I said that phrase. No, it has to be. In. I've people said that people out there expecting it. We always get to a point in the play, and they go, "Are we getting a real monkey? No, you're not getting a real monkey. You're not getting a real sheep. You're not getting a real dog. You're not getting a." What's their last one? I can't remember. Snake. 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 But the thing is, with the scenery, it almost feels like the scenery has to be um, decluttered in a way because then your imagination can colour in the scene for you. So if you have, it depends who enters the space which changes the scenery around it. It would mm. almost be too small to put it in a real square because then your imagination can't go wild. I mean, you know, we've got um, a washerwoman running across the stage just before Moses comes in. And if, you're, if it was a small square, you'd almost, it'd almost be too claustrophobic and your mind wouldn't be able to travel where it needs to go mm. to suddenly, you know... And with the props as well, um, a person carrying a prop is is so you can put you can place that person anywhere in the world if a person carries a canoe or if a person carries a tent you can you, suddenly your mind will shift them all across the world and all through time and um and suddenly all these people are colliding in the space together your brain needs that freedom to move with it and with the um otherwise you'll go well Moses wouldn't be yeah, yeah otherwise what is this if you imagine yeah. a Shakespeare is you know, when you're watching it, is heavily reliant on the spoken text, and that's what that's what you know. You're you're there to act. You, as the actors are acting, they're acting the spoken text and what it says, and that's just show. Um, with this, there's no spoken text. It's already really visual. I think we'll have to wrap it up there because it's um, it's been it's been a really nice uh, long. Every time we do these, they just get longer and longer. Um, Probably about an hour or something, isn't it? So yeah, anyway, go back and rest. exactly. Yes. Uh, we get back to work, everyone. Yeah. Stop sitting around recording podcasts and things. I <laughs> uh, just want to say thank you all uh, to you for coming and um, best of luck for the show. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. You can catch the hour we knew nothing of each other between the twenty eighth of March and second of April at the Silk Street Theatre, and tickets are available from the Barbican box office online, in person, or over the phone. <laughs>